How many of you noticed those Oreos when you came in? How many of you know that I'm not going to give you any? The sermon's on greed this weekend. Why would I give you any of the Oreos? Those Oreos are my Oreos. They're mine. In fact, the first three words a child learns is what? Mama, daddy, mine. Was that? Those are really mine. And some of you are wondering, well, at the end, he'll give in and he'll give us some. No, I, I won't. Because they're mine. Take a look at your scripture with me. Just before I have you turn there, I do want to mention there's a flyer in your program that talks about the greeting ministry. Someone left 12 cents right here. Mine. I don't know why it's there, but it's mine now. All right, I'll put it in the offering afterwards, but, uh, you know, I'll have to split it with them. Okay, the, in, your, in your program, there's a flyer in there that says, be there. It's talking about greeting ministry. The, I would let, now, you need to know that uh, the way they spelled that, I, I guess that B and there is two different colors, but to the colorblind person like me, it said, bet here. And I, I thought to myself, are we, uh, what are we, running off track betting now or something? I, I'm just wasn't quite sure, which I, I'm not averse to it. I just want to make sure the church gets its cut. But if you're not involved in ministry, what are you waiting for? You say, well, Ron, it's my first weekend. I know. What are you waiting for? All right? We would love for you to be involved in ministry. It's a great way to meet some other people. It's a great way to be a blessing to other people. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at our sermon notes. We're continuing on in our series of Despicable Me. If you guys, Josh is here. You want to give him a hand for the last couple of weekends and a great job. That was, a, that was a bit tepid, Josh. I, 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 here, let's try this. When I raise my hands, you applaud wildly, all right? Ready? You're supposed to stop when I put my hands down. That is so much fun. That has nothing to do with the sermon. But I just love doing it. I appreciate Josh's ministry. Let's take a look here. Jesus tells this story. He said to them, watch out. Underline that. Watch out. It's a warning. Be on your guard for all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Underline that question. What shall I do? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Underline this. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Underline this. You fool. This very night your soul will be demanded from you. And the King James says soul. Here it says your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get your stuff? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. But, circle that word but. Whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Then in the Old Testament, we have the scripture in Malachi. It says this, bring the whole tithe. Circle that word whole. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Tithe literally means tenth. You say, well, Ron, you know, you teach tithing here. Of course I teach tithing here. I tithe. In other words, a tenth of all of my income. The, there are many in our congregation. The tenth of all that they, their God blesses them with. We bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to, to store it. Let's take a look at letter A. Jesus thought greed was a serious sin, but do we think it's a serious sin? You see, greed has kind of been downgraded. How many of you grew up Catholic, grew up attending a Catholic parish? You know, oftentimes in Protestant churches, people are critical of that. You need to know I am grateful for the training that you received there. As you'll remember, 
Greed was listed, grieve or avariciousness, was listed as one of the seven cardinal or deadly sins. In other words, you were taught when you were a child that it's a big deal, it's an important thing. And Jesus is teaching here that greed is a serious sin. It's not just something that, you know, is for other people, but we've kind of downgraded it. In fact, look at number one with me. We've changed greed from being a serious sin into just a funny character. We're not as mean as Scrooge, or we're not as silly as Scrooge McDuck, so we must be fine. How many of you remember Scrooge McDuck? You guys remember him? The only reason Debbie and I had kids is because we like cartoons. And so, you know, most of you, your kids got up, came in and shook you to come watch TV. The truth of the matter is I went in and shook them and said, let's watch cartoons. And, and so, because I felt bad as an adult watching Rescue Rangers and Scrooge McDuck, and so they were really just an excuse. And so, you know, we'd go in and we'd watch them, and, and Scrooge McDuck was known for having every dime he'd ever earned. In other words, he was someone who was a miser. He hung on to it, but he was a funny character. For those of you that have ever seen the, mo- the play or movie, A Christmas Carol, at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. in December. They do that play there every single year. I've been there the last couple of years for it. And it's always an enjoyable time. It's a great play to see him turn from a miser into someone who's generous. But we think about Ebenezer Scrooge. Tell the person next to you, what does he walk around saying about Christmas? Tell the person next to you. Bah humbug. We hear him saying that, and then we, at the end of the play or end of the movie, he's such a generous guy, and, and so we like that transformation. But friends, greed is not a caricature. It's not a, a cartoon character. It's not a, a character in a play. Greed is a sin that we are all prone to, and Jesus says, watch out for every form of greed. He gives them the warning. Look at number two with me. But we're not just fine. Even though we're not as mean as Scrooge or as funny as Scrooge McDuck, greed settles like a fine mist on our heart. It fits our nature so well. It feeds into our desires so well, we don't even realize that it's hardening. In other words, greed isn't something that happens all at once. Greed is something that if left unchecked, is naturally occurring. In other words, raise your hand if you're a mom. Raise your you have kids. You've seen this played out, haven't you? You've seen one of your children standing there with, with three cookies and another child standing there with no cookies. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but from a very young age, kids figure out how, you know, how to handle this situation. And think about what your mother tells you to do. Think, moms, think, think about what you tell that child to do. Tell the person, what do you tell that child to do? You tell that child, eat those cookies quick before they pry them out of your greedy little hands. That's what you say, right? No, you, you don't do that. Why do you teach a child that? It's because you know that it is the nature of people for greed to control us. It's the nature of people to want to hang on to everything that we've got. It's the nature of humanity to, to want to turn our back towards those with no cookies and just hang on to our cookies. Because why? These are mine. And so we, whether it's with body language or with just a, an out-and-out no, we tell people, others, no, this stuff belongs to me. This is the problem that we face in this particular parable. And it ends badly for this guy. Take a look not, at number three. If you're not really sure that, that you've ever battled this problem, let me give you this simple little test. It's an easy one. Go ahead and hold up your left hand. Just hold up your left hand for a second. Hold up your right hand. Go like this. In fact, some of you that grew up in Pentecostal churches, you know what this is all about. Okay, so you've got them just like this. In your left hand, this is the desire to acquire. In other words, this is where you think about what you've got, think about what you're going to get, think about what you want, think about what you want to buy. In other words, ladies, this is, this is the sales rack. The, you know, 
How many of you ladies always wait for something to go on to the sales rack? You, you guys do that, right? Debbie does. I mean, she's got this one store. She's, she only checks the sales rack. They, what they do is they mark it way up, and then they mark it down and put it on the sales rack. Well, it's on sale. In fact, she got an app the other day. I am in the car. You can put your hands down for just a second because this has nothing to do with the sermon. I am in the car riding with my brother and sister-in-law, and my sister-in-law's phone dings. I think, well, she's got a text. And Debbie, Debbie said, someone texting you because our kids were all running around somewhere. And said, someone texting you. She said, no, 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 that means there's a sale nearby. <laughs> now, I'm driving. And my sister-in-law is explaining to her that, well, whenever, the, whenever her phone comes near a store that's having a sale, it sends her a notification. Is this the most ungodly thing, man, you've ever heard of? I am driving along doing everything I can. Just shut up, just shut up, just shut up. Not to her, to myself, because I am, I am about to say, oh, dear God, what are you doing to me here? But, you know, she's a, and she's telling Debbie where to get this app. And now, fortunately, Debbie's not all that technically savvy, and so that app's going to disappear. But, see, Ron, you would do that? I am a husband. Are you nuts? Of course I'd do that. And so in this hand, the desire to acquire. But, guys, you know, are you standing there thumbing through the boat magazine? You know, this is the difference between men and women. When women overspend, they'll buy a new dress. When men overspend, they come home with a new boat. And so, you know, you're, no, that's really true. The, you know, women, a lot of overspending, they can just do it just right and left, but it never totals up. When the guy overspends, you know, he comes home with a $10,000 sound system or something. And so that, that desire to acquire that means so very much to us or the desire to be a blessing, you know, two or three doors down from you on your block, there's someone going through a divorce. There's someone who has sickness in their household. The, a few months ago, the, the lady who lives next door to where Debbie and I moved, her, her husband was in hospice. In other words, there are hurts and there are needs right on your own block. Which are you most focused on? You know, are you focused on this or are you focused on this? We spend so much of our life focused on the desire to acquire and the so little on the caring about sharing. Friends, this shows us that the seed of greed is in all of us. And this guy in Jesus' story, he not only has the seed of greed, it has blossomed into to a full-grown tree, and his heart has been coated with greed, and it's hardened in time to where now he no longer feels anything outside of his own wants and desires. Take a look at number, th- number four with me. Here's the greed process. It starts with fear, then moves to an attitude of, I deserve this. And then it, it expands, I desire this, until finally the decision is made, this stuff is mine, I'll do with it what I please, until finally we get to the point in our story where there's total loss. And I'll explain that to you in just a minute. But I want you to remember something. Nobody in this story stole anything. There's no theft here. There's no acquiring by false devices. There, there's no fraud. There's no embezzlement. There, there's, there's none of the things that we would look at. No, no, no. He did what we say about ourselves. Well, Ron, he earned it. I, I agree. Well, Ron, he went out and worked for it. I agree. But notice how this story ends. Thou fool, this very night your life will be required of thee. Such will be the ending of any who build up wealth but are not rich towards God. That was the problem. He got to the point where he felt it is mine, but then he suffers total loss. Take a look on the right-hand side. He has what we call bigger barn syndrome. In other words, you know, what am I going to do with all my stuff? Number one, Jesus warns them, warns the disciples. Greed is a sneaky thing. Fill that into your notes. Greed is not something that's easy to spot in ourselves. 
No, you, no one woke up this morning and said, you know, I am one greedy guy. No, no one woke up and said that. No child says, you know, Mom, I'm not going to share cookies. I'm greedy. No, no, we recognize that it's subtle. It builds up in the heart. That's why Jesus says, be on guard. Watch out for it. It's something that can sneak up. And, and as it coats the heart, the heart becomes so hard, it's not that you will choose to ignore needs it's that you'll reach the point where you'll no longer even feel them. You'll no longer even recognize them. Someone will stand there, and, and friends, I, I've been guilty of this myself, and I, I'm sure all of us have someone will stand there, and we'll be so preoccupied, and our hearts will be so distracted. Someone will tell us of, of a hurt they're going through, and we're just nodding our heads, uh-huh, 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 never really stopping to allow it to crack the shell of our heart. Greed does that. The, to where we'll see a need, we'll see someone struggling, we'll, we'll see a, an opportunity to use our, be used by God to touch someone else's life. But because our heart has gotten so hard, we no longer even feel those things. So Jesus says, be careful. It's a subtle thing. Look at number two. Now our farmer, he starts working through the process. He's going to work through the fear, deserve, desire, mind, total loss process. Let's walk with him. Letter A, fear. Is there anything more dependent on things you can't control than farming? In other words, the farmer doesn't get to choose how much rain there's going to be. He doesn't get to choose the quality of the soil. At the time, even though this was an agrarian culture, they couldn't go out and spray pesticides. They didn't put, go out and put it in soil enhancers. They didn't have any of that. No, he went out and sowed in fear. What the Bible says is that people sow in fear and reap with joy. Why do they sow in fear? I'm sorry, sow in tears and reap in joy. Why do they go out and sow in tears? Because you're taking seed that could be ground into flour, made into food right now. And so I can take this and I, I, can, I can feed my family with it or I can throw it on the ground and hope for a harvest. We sow in tears because there is not, there, there's not a, a sure thing when we're going out and planting a crop. And so we sow in tears but we reap with joy. So every farmer goes out and sows with a sense of fear, praying, that this, let this be a good rainy year. Let her be. He moves to the deserve point. Notice the absence of, thank God we got some rain. Notice the absence of gratitude. Notice that there's just nothing there other than, man, look how much I've got. He moves on to the desire stage. You know, I'm going to buy some happiness. I'll take life easy. I'll eat. I'll drink. I'll be merry. He develops the attitude of, man, I, I owe this to myself. And that's the way we market things today. We market food. Well, you know, you deserve this. You are owed this. The years ago, McDonald's changed their jingle to you deserve a break today. When we talk about vacation, we talk about how much we deserve. In our, I saw, heard a commercial the other day that had to do with it was an insurance company, and, and they were saying, you know, we're going to provide you the service or the product that you deserve. They market that way because they know it plays into this, this mindset that we deserve, that we have somehow, that we occupy a special place in the universe, that we should get this stuff. And this farmer, he's already there. But then he moves to the really serious ground. In letter D, he's moved to the decision of this is mine. And now, it's funny how the word mine has kind, of a, has kind of a ring to it with us. In fact, go ahead and turn to the person next to you and say, mine. Just go ahead and say it to them. The scientists have shown us that there are certain things that we say and think about that we get a, an actual chemical charge from. The, 
have you ever had the feeling, well, I should have said this. You know, someone says something unkind. You know, I should have told them this, or this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, and you think about how you're going to get back at them, and you're going to strike back, or say something unkind, or get revenge, and, and you, you've got that feeling. The, what they found is when we think about getting revenge, there's actually a chemical release in the brain that, that we derive a, a, a good feeling from thinking of getting back at someone. The, the idea of mine has a very similar effect, and in fact, just saying mine. You know, when I look at these and I, I look at all of you and I say, mine, I feel good about that. Now, some of you say, well, Ron, that, that sounds awful. But the truth is, we all do. When the farmer gets to the decision of this is mine, he feels good about it. When our bank balance has grown or, or we've paid off the car or the house and we look at it and say, this is mine, we like that feeling. This farmer has gotten to that point, but he is right on the brink of extreme danger because look what happens in our story. The next move in our story after mine is total loss. Look in your notes there with me. It says letter E, total loss. He loses the money, he loses the reward in heaven, and he loses the joy of giving. He loses everything. In other words, he doesn't go to see his heavenly father with a sense of anticipation. He goes to see his heavenly father with a sense of dread. He doesn't get the joy of seeing people's lives change. He doesn't enjoy the reward in heaven that God talks about. It, he, doesn't, he doesn't get anything. It is a total loss. Friends, that's what you need to understand about the greed process. As we move down that path from fear to deserving to desiring to mine, you need to know that it ends in this way. Thou fool. This very night your life will be required. I'm not saying God's going to kill you tomorrow because you're not generous. What I'm saying is it ends in total loss. We don't get to take the money with us to heaven, and so we lose the money. We lose the reward in heaven. We also lose the joy of touching other people's lives. This guy ends up with nothing, and Jesus is telling the story not so he can talk down to the farmer. He's giving it as a warning to disciples that he loves. Be cautious. This is how we will all end if we don't guard against greed in our own lives. But right now, even as I say greed to you, it's hard for you not to picture the old man sitting with all of his gold coins. It's hard for you not to picture the funny character running around with moths flying out of his wall. It's hard when we talk about greed for us to see ourselves. Friends, probably the clearest picture is when you were a child and you had the three cookies and they had none. You turned a little bit so you could hide those cookies. Do you really think you've stopped hiding those cookies? It's a part of who we are as people. It's a part of what God desires to change in us. Be on guard for all forms of greed. Look at letter C with me. I'm sorry, but the antidote to greed is generosity. I wish it was something different. I wish we could just kind of get an inoculation or something. You know, we could just get a shot or maybe have a prayer or, you know, make some kind of you know, wave a wand over you and change it. But the only antidote for greed is generosity. And God gives us a methodology. Look at number one. Generosity is like exercise. Disciplined generosity will make you stronger. Occasional generosity only makes you sore. Now, how many of you have ever decided, you know, you're going to get in shape? How many of you ever made that kind of decision before? I'm going to get in shape. And guys, we always decide, you know, we're going to go down to the weight room and, you know, we're going 
we're going to lift weights and, you know, kind of bulk up and all that. And, you know, you've gone through this where you go down there and you start out and you're lifting weights, lifting weights, lifting weights. And you go home and, man, you're just feeling all, you know, just strong. And you go in and that night you go to bed and the next morning your wife says, honey, are you getting out of bed? Don't touch me. I can't move. (laughs) Honey, aren't you going to get up? I can't. I can't move. Here, my nose itches. Itch my nose. I can't raise my arm. Because we are so sore. Friends, that's the way generosity works with an awful lot of people. They go out and they haven't exercised the muscles of generosity. They're not generous regularly. They're generous occasionally. And so now they just get sore and irritated when they are invited to generosity again. You know, I I gave to that last year. I, I did this before. I did this several months ago. In other words, they don't exercise the generosity muscles regularly. And so they end up feeling sore when the next opportunity, the next need is presented. It, generosity is only built up by practice. It's something that is difficult for all of us when we start. Take a look at number two. Generosity can only be about what you've got right now. It's funny how we tell ourselves stories that if I had more, then I'd be more generous. I, I, I don't want to be unkind here, but I don't believe you. If I had more, I'd be more. Generosity is always about what you've got right now. If you're not generous with what you've got, why would you be generous with what you're going to get? If you're not faithful with the time, time, talent, and tithe now, why would you be faithful if you had more? Because those are three things you have right now. In fact, sometimes people say, well, you know, Pastor Ron, when I have more time, tell the person next to you how many hours you get in a day. Tell the person next to you. 24, how many days do you get in a week? When exactly are you going to get more? But you say that, don't you? Well, when I have more time. Well, you know, Pastor Ron, when I have more time available, there's 168 hours in the week. What I have found is I have time to do the things that are important for me to do. You need to know it has never been important for me to clean out the gutters at the house. So, well, you know, Debbie, doesn't Debbie want you to clean out the gutters? Yes, she does. And so, you know, honey, when I have more time, I will. When I get 169 hours in a week instead of 168. You know, honey, when I get eight days in a week, then I'll... No, I have time for things. When you say to a a teenager, you know, can you clean your room? Well, mom, as soon as I have time. Friends, they're getting... They've got all the time they're ever going to get. We have most all of the talent that we're ever going to have. And you've already got the tithe of what God has entrusted to you. Don't think generosity is about when you win the lottery. Here's what happens when you win the lottery. First of all, the lawsuits start. The, all the people suing you that want a part of it and all the people that you're going to have to fight with. And then you're going to spend the money in about three years. It really doesn't matter how much you win. You're going to spend it all in about three years. Statistically, they spend it all in about three years. But that's actually pretty good because money that you inherit, no matter how much, most everybody goes through an inheritance. The statistic is about 26 months, okay? And so, you know, we're going to go through that. But we think to ourselves, if I had a lot more time, I'd be more generous with my time. If I had more talent, if I, if I had more money, then I would be faithful with my time. Friends, let's make sure we understand. When we talk about tithe, tell the person next to you, Tithe literally means what? Literally means tenth, doesn't it? I've got ten cookies here, all right? Tell, tell me, how, what's the tithe on ten cookies? The, all right, well, what, what's the tithe on $100? $10. What, what's the tithe on $1,000? $100. What's the tithe on a million dollars? Way too much money to give to the church, Okay. But people say if they want a million dollars, well, then they'd be glad to tithe. Friends, if, if, you have trouble, if you have trouble parting with 
that one, what makes you think that when there's 100,000 of them that you'll somehow gladly part with a tenth of it? Friends, what we do is we fool ourselves. We tell ourselves generosity is about what we will have in the future. There's no such thing about being generous with what you're going to get. You only make the choice of whether or not you're going to be generous with what God's already entrusted to you. Three things, time, talent, tithe. Look at number three with me. Let's make sure we're asking the right question here. Because the guy in our story, he obviously asked the wrong one. Here's what he asked. He said, what shall I do with all of my stuff? I have no place to store all of my stuff. So he's going to go out and he's going to get a storage unit, maybe several of them. He's going to build bigger barns. He's going to put stuff out in the garage. In other words, he's going to accumulate more and more of my stuff. He asked, what do I do with my stuff? How would the story have ended if he had asked, Lord, what should I do with your stuff? What if Jesus retold the story? How would it have ended if Jesus said there was a certain rich man whose crops came forth bountifully, and he brought in the crops, and he sat down, and he looked at the abundance that he had, and so he went into his prayer closet and said, Lord, what would you have me to do with all that you have entrusted to me? What would you have me to do to be a blessing to the people around me? How would the story have changed? Would Jesus still have said, thou fool, this very night, your soul will be required of thee? Then who will get your stuff? Or would the story have changed into a story of commendation? Friends, his problem was he asked the wrong question. He said, what do I do with my stuff instead of, Lord, what do you want me to do with the stuff you have entrusted to me? Take a look at the next one. God had, number four, God has two exercises to help you build up your generosity muscles. The first one, letter A, use your talent generously. Now, I've teased with you over the years, I don't really have a lot of talents. In fact, the, other than church, I don't really have any talent at all. The, I'm not talented. I really admire people who are talented decorators. And I mean, they just have such an eye to make things. I really don't. I'm just colorblind as the day is long, all right? I mean, it's it just, I am the most severely colorblind person you are likely to meet. And so every day before I leave the house, I say, honey, do, do I match today? And you know, when she's mad at me, I match. And when she's not, I go out clashing. But you know, it's figured that's made the marriage work, all right? And so, you know, I, I go and I check because I don't have any talent for that. Yeah, I don't have any talent musically. I, I have tried several instruments, and my fingers say, we are going to do whatever we want to do. They're just not going to get organized. And so, you know, that's not, singing's not really my talent. You know, I'm about half tone deaf. You know, I'm not really good at very much, and the only thing I really know is I I know church. And so I, I was at dinner with a a church consultant, I, I had asked him to come out and, and to give us some help because what happens is I sit around and talk to Ron Baum, Ron Baum talks to Josh, Josh talks to Jim Jarris, Jim Harris talks to, to uh, Jeff Rosen, Jeff Rosen talks to me. We're sitting around talking to each other until finally the only ideas we have are stupid, okay? And so in other words, it, those of you who run companies, let me just encourage you. If you never have anybody from the outside come in and talk to you, it won't be long until all you're talking is stupid, all right? We do it here at the church and those companies do it because you work together together so long, you begin to think about things the same way. And, and so I had this guy come in, his name's Tony, wonderful believer, loves the Lord dearly, and, and just has a heart to really be a help uh, to different ministries. And so we talked about different things and, and worked through, and I, I took him to dinner after we got done with that day's session. And, and he's talking to me, he said, you know, I, I get contacted by a lot of small churches. He, he said, but to be honest, they can't, they can't afford even to, you know, the travel expenses, you know, they're struggling with such difficulties in their budgets. And he said, you know, I know 
they, they would benefit from help, but the truth of the matter is that financially I just can't. And, you know, I kind of let it go, but, it, man, it began to eat at me. And so, you know, I, I let it kind of percolate for a couple weeks. You know, I felt the Lord leading me, but, you know, I was, I was really battling against it. You know, kind of, these are my cookies, God. Leave me alone. And so my time, my talent, my tithe, and, you know, God, kind of leave me alone, will you? And, and you know, I, I just finally I, I sent him an email and said, I need to talk to you. And so we got on a conference call, and I said, you know, it's been bothering me. The, I've got Ron Baum, who's on staff, and Josh, and myself, and others who have small church experience. We've been on staffs at small churches. I grew up in one. I understand. And I just wanted to call you and tell you that we, we're willing to go through whatever training you ask us to. But then if you'd like us, we, we are willing, if need be, we'll go out and volunteer to do what you're doing, but with small churches that can't afford for you to do that. We thought, we'll take the, the small talents that we have, and we'll use them to be a blessing to someone else. Friends, that's the only talent I've got. The, when, uh, once it gets past church, once it gets past organization, once it gets past management, I, I really, I got nothing, all right? And so I want to use what I've got. What do you have to use? There are some talents I don't even really understand. There's a lady who works for the church. She, she plays the keyboard. That I can understand. But I mean, she is a computer geek. I mean, she is the Sheldon Cooper of Cornerstone. I mean, she's just someone that, she came in my office the other day, and, you know, we're having to switch over computer program. I don't know what the heck they're doing down there. But they're changing it all, and they're just letting me know that, man, we got to do it. And she's talking about data transfers and all this, how it works. And, and she said, the good thing about being the senior pastor is I don't have to answer people. In other words, she, I just nod my head, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. No, they can't, like, ask me uh-huh. But she finally asked me a question. She said, who exactly would you like me to, to go to with these de- decisions on that? And I am thinking, is there anybody besides me on the planet I could send her to? Because I have no idea what she's even doing, all right? But she's a direct reporter to me, and so I'm kind of nodding. Why don't you use your own judgment? Friends, I don't understand even what she does, but she works at the church. Friends, there are gifts and talents you've got I don't really understand. There was a guy Josh went to breakfast with the other day. He's into cloud computing. Friends, if you want to talk about cloud computing, don't talk to me about it. You know, I finally figured out how to turn on my iPhone, all right? Beyond that, I don't know. I don't really care. I do read my Bible. I've got an iPad. I read my Bible on that, and I've got this app on there that will tell me where I'm at, and so I figure I'm good to go, okay? There's a lot of gifts and talents I don't understand, but God can understand them, and God can use them in the kingdom. What are you doing with your time, your talent, and your tithe? Take a look back inside your notes with me. God invites us to use our talent under number 4A. Use it generously. Underline that word generously, because it's not yours. Pay your tithe honestly. It's not yours, but number five, has our feeling of ownership made this too sensitive to talk about? Here, turn to the person next to you. If you it doesn't even matter if you know them or not. Just turn to them and tell them whether or not you've been faithful in your marriage the last three months. Go ahead. Tell them whether or not you've been faithful in your marriage. Dear Lord, I hope you said yes. She's got a look in her eye. Go ahead and tell the person next to you whether or not you've taken a club and beat your children or anybody else's children in the last three months. But now what if I was to ask you to turn, now don't do this, but what if I was to ask you to turn the person next to you and tell them whether or not you tithed, brought the whole tithe, the 10%. You brought the whole tithe the, on the check from last month's 1st and 15th. What if I was to ask you to turn to them and say that? Say, well, Ron, that, that's, that's kind of personal. Friends, I, I just ask you to turn to someone you don't even know and tell them whether or not you had sex with a stranger and you just kind of giggled and told them. 
that you didn't say to me, well, you know, Ron, that's, you, in fact, you didn't turn the person next to you and say, well, you know, honey, that's kind of personal. You didn't do that. But when I start talking to you about that, did you know there are churches that on Sunday night they read a list of who tithed on Sunday morning? I think that's a grand idea. <laughs> but if I start that next week, this week will be the last week that I ever see you. Because you've done the math, and on that $1,000, you came up with 10% is 25 bucks. And on 500, you came up with 25 bucks. In fact, we're, just, we're not going to teach on tithing anymore. We're just going to teach math around here, okay? Because it's amazing, no matter how much someone makes it, the tithe comes out to 25 bucks. In fact, I don't know if you realize this, when they count up the checks, they have like stacks of checks, 50 and 25 bucks, friends. What it says is bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, but oh man... Has our sense of ownership gotten to the point? Well, you know, Ron, you really shouldn't talk to me about money. Wait a minute. Let's call it what it is. You shouldn't talk to me about my money. You're right. I shouldn't talk to you about your money, but I'm not. I'm talking to you about God's money. You see, the rain, the sunshine, the soil, the seed, none of them were created by the farmer. All of them were entrusted to him by God. He planted, he watered, but the Bible is clear on who gave the increase. Friends, I'm, when I talk about talent, I'm not talking about your talent. I'm talking about the one God entrusted to you. When I talk to you about tithe, I'm not talking about your tithe. I'm talking about his tithe. Letter B under number five, has it gotten too scary to think about? You know, Pastor Ron, if, if I tithed, I just couldn't make it. Yeah, you're stuck at the fear point. What God says, try me. Test me now in this and see. Test me now in this and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing. Friends, I was taught from the time I was a child, you'll not outgive God. The, I give my tithe faithfully. I give my tithe joyfully. I give my tithe with an expectant heart, and God has always been extremely generous with me. Friends, let's make sure that we understand God invites us to test him because he understands how fear gets a hold of us. Take a look at number six. Greed isn't an angry old man hating Christmas. It's not that, that picture, you know, of the, all the stacks of gold coins and the miser with his account sheet sitting behind. That, that's, not, that's not what greed looks like. What greed looks like is you and I hoarding the tithe, time, and talent that God has entrusted to us. But yet we want to believe that greed, well, that's something this extreme character has. I can't have it. Peter, James, John. I mean, these are just fishermen. And Jesus says to them, be on guard. Be on guard from all forms of greed, of how we have this desire to acquire, this desire to keep, this desire to call the Oreos and the table and the tablecloth and the chair and the room and the car and, the, and everything, we to call it mine. Be careful because it ends badly. Look at number seven with me. Look at the greed process one more time. Fear, deserve, desire, mine, total loss. Look at it one more time, and then let me ask you this question. Where are you stuck? See, change will only begin with a committed decision. Now, I walk every day. Now, I'm not someone who goes out lifting weights, but I walk every day. I walk anywhere from one to three hours every day. The, I walk about anywhere from three and a half to 10 miles every day. This month, I'm up to 150 miles so far this month. I'm going to try and make it to 175 miles, just see if I can make it there. You say, well, Ron, you know, you, you must really like walking. Yeah, I do now, but I used to hate it. 
I used to hate getting out of bed and getting dressed and going walking. You know, the, how many of you think about exercising and think, no, I'd rather have breakfast in bed? I mean, it just, it just thought this is just a terrible thing. But how did I do that? Because I've walked every day for months. I mean, every day I go out, and now it's to the point if I don't walk, and if I only get four or five miles in, I feel kind of cruddy. Like this morning, I only had time for about four miles. And so, you know, tonight I'll probably go out and do a few more miles. Debbie will go with me, though. Early morning she sleeps while I go. But it, tonight she'll want to go walk, and so we'll, we'll go and do that. Friends, I really enjoy it, but I didn't always enjoy it. Started out really hard. But my walking muscles have really developed over time. Now, man, if I have time to do eight or ten, man, I really enjoy it. I don't run because running's bad for my joints and I'd fall over dead. But, you know, I really enjoy walking. I listen to books. I do, and just my time alone with God. I mean, it's just a great time for me. So how did I make that change from hating it to needing to do it every day? I made a decision. Here's what it was. If I get out of bed, I'm going to walk. If I get out of bed, I'm going to walk. If I lay in bed all day, I don't have to walk. But if I get out of bed, I'm going to walk. Why did I phrase the decision that way? Because I knew I'd get up. And if I made a firm decision, I would do it. See, here's the problem. Some of you are going to try to tithe. Some of you are going to try and use your talent. Some of you are going to try and have more time set aside to be a blessing to others. What happens to things you try to do? If you are going to try to clean your room, tell the person next to you what's going to happen. If you're going to try to do it, you see, there's a difference between, I'm going to try and do this. I'm going to, I'm going to try and be more generous, and next week, or this week, I'm going to go and sign up electronically. I'm going to pay my tithe, or I'm going to bring my check next week. The, this one I'm going to try. This one I'm going to do. This one never happens. This one can actually occur. It begins with a committed decision. Bow your heads with me for just a minute. I'm going to ask you for a committed decision. I'm going to ask you, are you willing to take the risk? You know, it's funny, the, well, Ron, I'll, I'll risk this, I'll risk that, but, you know, Ron, you know, th- this, is my, this, is, this is my money. I, I know you think that, but that's the problem, is it coats our heart to the point that we don't even realize how it sounds in the ears of God when we say, well, Lord, this is my money. This, this one who entrusted everything to us, and then we turn around and say, my time, my tithe, my talent, you know, the, the, this stuff is mine Friends, you try and train it out of your children, and God is trying to train it out of us as Jesus tried to train it out of the disciples. Are you willing to make a committed decision? You know what? I don't want greed to control my life. I want to exercise my muscles of generosity. I'm going to find a place to use my talent to touch the lives of people around me. I am going to be faithful bringing the whole tithe. I'm not going to mess around with this 25 bucks. I'm not going to mess around with, you know, what's the, what I've got in my pocket. No, I'm going to be faithful with my tithe and see if God won't bless me for doing that. That's the kind of decision I'm asking for. I'll start. Lord Jesus, whatever small talents I've got, I will use them wherever you call me. Lord Jesus, I will use my talents whenever you call me to do whenever you call me to do it. Lord Jesus, my talents aren't really mine. They are yours. Lord, the tithe that you have entrusted to me, I will never steal it. Lord, what you entrust to me, I know is just lent to me by you. And God, you have called me to be a good steward, not only with my tithe, but every other area. And Lord, I commit, I will continue to be a good steward over what you entrust to me. Lord Jesus, I pray your Holy Spirit would lay it on the hearts of one or two or a hundred more that would say, 
I will be faithful in using my talent generously to touch people's lives. I will bring my tithe honestly. I will set time aside to touch other people's lives. I will be that person that doesn't try. I will commit my tithe. I will commit my talent. I will commit my time. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that doesn't shrink from bold, brave commitments. We ask these things in your name. Amen.